This afternoon, we're starting a new sermon series called Why We Face Trials, in which we're going to be going through the book of Job, taking five weeks to work our way through it. And this is one of the most important questions that we followers of Jesus need to ask. Why do we go through trials? We've been loved by God, saved from our sins, adopted into his family. He's, he's our savior, he's our God. We love our savior, Jesus. All this has happened to us, so why do we need to go through trials? Why? Why do we get flat tires and migraines? Why do we come down with cancer? Have unfair bosses? Why do we lose loved ones and experience financial setbacks? Why do we, who know and love Jesus Christ, face trials? How would you answer that question? It's crucial that each of us knows from the Word of God how to answer that question. Some of you are going through deep waters of trials right now. And oh, at those times, don't we need to know what's God doing here? And if you're not going through deep waters now, you will be at some point in time. Why do we go through trials? And it's so important that we understand what the scriptures teach because when we go through those times of difficulty, of suffering, it's gonna be through the scriptures that God is going to meet us and strengthen us and carry us and sustain us. So we need to know what the scriptures teach about trials. So why do we face trials? Some people think that the reason believers face trials is because there must be some sin or unbelief in their life that God is punishing in some way. But as we're gonna see, that is not why Job faced trials. We just had it read, Job was the most righteous man in all the world. Godly man, strong in faith. And he suffered terribly. That's not the reason why believers face trials. Others think, well, there's just no reason. It's wrong to think there's some purpose. Random bad things just happen. God has nothing to do with them. But again, as we're going to see from the book of Job, that is not the right answer. It's not because of believers' sin or unbelief. It's not because there's no reason. So what, what is the reason? What I believe is taught in the book of Job and throughout the scriptures is this. The reason we believers face trials is because God is going to use them to bring us more of him more joy in him, even through the tears and the sorrow, more joy in, in him. Every trial we face, even when they're heartbreaking, is a gift from God of more nearness with him, more of his grace, more of his presence, more of him. That's what we're going to see in the book of Job. So let's, let's dig in to the book of Job. You've just heard the first verses of Job read by Venetha. And these verses answer the question, who is Job? 
And in these verses, I saw four crucial truths about Job. First, Job lived in history. Let's be clear on that. He's not a fairy tale character. Notice verse 1 says he lived in the land of Uz, which we don't know where it is, but we know it's a real place because that same land is mentioned in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25. Not only that, but Job is also mentioned by Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, and by the book of James in the New Testament. So Job was a real person in history. Second, Job was devoted to God. Love how that's described. Verse 1, he was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, that does not mean he was sinless. He was not sinless. In fact, we're going to see him start to struggle in chapter 3 as as things continue, but he had been saved by trusting God's promise of forgiveness of sins. He'd experienced in his heart the all-satisfying love of God. He devoted his life to worshiping God, glorifying God, obeying God. Job was devoted to God. That's the second truth. Third, Job was blessed with children and wealth. Seven sons, three daughters, thousands of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys, so much so that he was the greatest man in all the East, blessed with children and wealth. Fourth, Job was devoted to the salvation of his children. He would often get up early and offer burnt offerings for his children. Now, Killing a lamb, let's be clear, didn't pay for anyone's sins in the Old Testament, but it pictured how our sins could be paid for and would be paid for. That is how we could be forgiven for our sin by our guilt being put upon another and being punished in that other person in this case, because it's a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross, where he paid for all the sins of everyone who will trust him. That's what Job did. He was devoted to praying for the salvation of his children. So that just gives you a little feel of who Job was here. Lived in history, devoted to God, blessed with children and wealth, and was devoted to the salvation of his children. So what does God do? Verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. That phrase, the sons of God, is often used in the Old Testament to describe angels. What are angels? Angels are spiritual beings who are far more powerful than we are in ourselves, but they are created by God, and so God is infinitely more powerful than than them, right? God's the creator, Angels are just created, and Satan was an angel who had rebelled, which is why he was there. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man 
who fears God and turns away from evil. God loves Job. Job is the most godly man in the earth. And God wants Satan to notice Job because God is going to give Job the honor of displaying God's infinite value to Satan, to all the angels, and to everyone who reads this book of Job. That's what God's going to do. So verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased, his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan's pride has blinded him to who God is. And Satan is sure the only reason Job loves God so much, it's not because of God himself. It's because of the stuff God has given him. Money. Satan is sure that if God takes all that away, Job is going to curse God to his face, showing that, showing all the angels and everyone that God is worth nothing to Job. He's worth nothing in himself. So feel the weightiness of what's happening here. And the Lord, verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Go ahead. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, feel what's at stake here. Job's response is either going to greatly dishonor God, showing that God is nothing to Job, or it's going to profoundly honor God, showing that God is everything to Job. Think of this illustration. Imagine a young man who's been dating a young woman. They've gotten to know each other. He's learned that she has an inheritance worth billions. They become engaged, ready for marriage, and they have a party for all their friends to announce their engagement. But at this party, she hears that she's lost the whole inheritance, gone. And she shares this with him and with everyone there at the party. Now think of how honoring it would be to her for her fiancé to say, it doesn't change anything for me. I'm marrying you because of who you are, because of your great worth to me as a person. Feel how honoring that would be to her? But now think of how dishonoring it would be to her to have her fiancé say, um, in that case, I'm not interested in marrying you. 
you yourself are worth nothing to me. Wow. What's happening with Job and God is infinitely more important than that, as great, as massive, as important as that is. God is going to bring Job trials, heartbreaking, devastating trials. But through this, God is giving Job the privilege of displaying God's infinite worth to Satan, to the angels, and to everyone who's reading this book of Job. So, what happens? Start in verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans came. Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So the Sabaeans attacked, stole oxen, donkeys, killed all the servants caring for them. Verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you, fire of God is lightning. Lightning came, boom, all the sheep, servants, burned up. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Chaldeans, again, camels, servants killed. While he was yet speaking, verse 18, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And Job, they're all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Gale force wind like a hurricane destroyed the house. <laughs> All of his children killed. Job's oxen and donkeys and servants gone. Sheep and their servants gone. Camels and their servants gone. Dearly beloved children gone. Gone, 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 gone. Devastating. So, how does Job respond? Verse 20, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Tearing your robe, shaving your head, those are signs of great sorrow, agonizing grief, weeping sobbing. Don't think that Christians are always supposed to be smiling, that we never groan, that we never weep. It is not the case. Job is the most godly man on the earth. 
Job loves God. No one loves God like he does. And he weeps and sobs and groans over these tragic losses. But that's not all he does. He worships God. And what does he say when he he worships? Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then the author says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now notice that last line, very important. The author wants to make sure we understand that what Job says here was 100% true. Absolutely right. Yes, the Sabaeans and the lightning and the Chaldeans and the wind took away all Job had. That's true. And yes, Satan was involved with all of this. Yes, but God was sovereign over it all. God was. It was ultimately God who took all of that away. Like Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Now I want you to think about this. Some Christians' testimonies are only about the Lord giving giving children, giving jobs, giving health. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to have testimonies of of God's giving. But Job's testimony is that even when the Lord takes, he is to be worshipped and blessed. How often do we testify to those times when the Lord has taken? And let that be a testimony of the Lord has taken, but the Lord is still worth everything to me. The Lord has taken, but the Lord is still everything. Grace Church, I think we need more of those kind of testimonies. Both. It's not just when the Lord gives that we testify to his beauty and goodness and majesty. It's also when the Lord takes that we can say, in spite of the fact that he's taken this, he is everything to me. Let's work on that. But now what is there to worship about God when he takes? Notice that he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Not the gifts of the Lord, not the provision of the Lord, not the prosperity from the Lord. Nothing wrong with blessing God for these things, but Job blesses the name of the Lord. God's name is who he is. Not what he gives, who he is. It's who God is in himself. What Job loves far more than what God gives is who God is. That's what Job loves. God's majesty, 
God's presence, God's beauty, God's glory, God's reality. What Job loves far more than what God gives is God himself. So he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had lost all of his possessions, but Job still had God. He still had God. He knew God. He loved God. Job's all-satisfying treasure was God. And he still had God. So he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. When all the Job has had is taken away, and all the Job has is God, Job has everything. Because God is everything. You feel that coming from, this is a real man, friends. He's there weeping. I have everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whew, let's be like Job displaying to all the angels, to Satan himself, to all of us tonight, God is everything. It's beautiful. But God is not done. Job is going to display even more of God's worth. What happens next? Chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him? on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, he still holds fast his integrity, his faith, his love for me, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. That is, there was no sin being punished here. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and touch his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your and only spare his life. And what does Satan do? Verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Imagine, infected sores covering your body, itching, oozing, burning, throbbing head to toe. I mean, just feel the constant pain and the, the, the embarrassing shame of how you would look 
Then Job has the, the sorrow of his beloved wife losing heart and giving up. Verse 9, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. She's given up. Look at how Job responds, verse 10. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And again, the author closes that section with, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now that word evil there, does not mean that God has done evil or that he ever does evil. God never does evil. Even when God purposefully allowed the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans and Satan himself to do what was evil, clearly, God does that for good and holy and righteous purposes, so God doesn't do any evil even when he allows evil to take place. God's sovereign over evil. He does purposely allow it to take place, like the cross took place, for example. The most evil, wicked act that people could ever have done. And God chose that to happen for good and righteous and holy reasons. So God never does evil. Understand that. And notice again that the author wants us to understand that what Job says here is true. Satan was involved. God is sovereign over Satan. So Job has received this sickness ultimately from, from God. So just think about what's happened here. Not only has Job lost all of his wealth and all of his children, he's now lost his health. And what will he do? Will he now finally curse God to his face? Think of the angel on the edge of their seats watching. Think of Satan watching. What will Job do? <laughs> Job does not curse God. Job loves God. Job knows he's been forgiven by God, saved by God. Job knows God. Job's body is an excruciating pain, but his heart, his heart is strong and full in God. Shall we receive good from God and not trust him when he allows us to receive evil? He's trusting, he's trusting. So Job is proclaiming to the angels, to Satan, to all of us reading, that to have God is to have everything. Even with no children, no wealth, no health, to have God is to have everything. Do you understand that? We're all gr hope growing in understanding that. We, we all need to grow more in understanding that, but that is the truth, when you have God in Christ, you have everything. So this trial, with all of its heartbreak, was a gift 
to Job from God. God gave Job the honor, the joy of experiencing even more deeply that, God, you are everything, experiencing that more deeply, and the privilege of displaying to Satan and the angels and to all of us that God is everything. What a privilege. So, Grace Church, what does this mean for us? There's lots more we're going to learn from the book of Job. This is just the beginning. Job has done well in these two chapters. By God's grace, sustaining him, helping him. No human being could do this on our own, but saved people with God's grace. This is what God has done. God has sustained him, comforted him, enabled him, met him. Job's done well in chapters 1 and 2, but we're going to see him start to struggle in chapter 3. So I want to warn you as you start to read ahead. And there's lots more that God wants to say to us in this book of Job. So for now, let me just give you one takeaway to ponder. <laughs> and I hope that this starts to shape your, your thinking more clearly, more biblically. Here's the one takeaway. Understand that God brings trials to his most devoted saints. You know the word saints, right? We're all, all of us who are trusting Christ, we're all saints, right? Not just a few saints. Every believer is a saint. God brings trials to his most devoted saints. Now that, that might be differently than maybe what you've thought or what you've been taught. You might have thought that good, good comes from God. Bad comes from Satan. Well, that may be the case as it is here, but even when they come from Satan, God's in control. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So just let this start to stretch your thinking. I would encourage you, if this sounds very foreign to you, okay, I, it's not easy to hear new thoughts, but let's, let's just take a look at the scriptures over these next weeks. Ask God to teach you about trials. Oh, church, we need to have rock-solid Bible strength and backbones to be able to persevere and endure and not lose heart when we go through trials as believers. Understand that God brings trials to his most devoted saints. Remember, Job was the most godly person in the world. And he suffered terrible trials. Just put those two together. Put those two together. And chapters 1 and 2 say nothing about his sin or his unbelief. His trials were not punishment from God. Do you see that? No way. Nothing in here about punishment from God. And yet, think about this. Too often, don't we think that when trials come, I guess God's punishing me? I would guess many of us have that as one of the thoughts that goes through our mind. But remember, because you are trusting Jesus, all your sins have already been punished in Jesus. You understand that, right? All your sins have already been punished in Jesus. You will never taste of punishment from God ever. All your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, were all punished in Jesus because you're trusting him. All your sins were punished in him. Now, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, then then God, in his love, 
may bring some trials to you to give you a taste of the punishment to come to wake you up to your need for salvation so you will turn to him. He loves you. He wants you to be forgiven and saved. But all of you who are trusting Jesus will never taste any punishment for your sin. We need to get that settled in our minds. Never any punishment. God brings trials to his most devoted saints. Now, this might trouble you. You might think, well, I thought God was good. Isn't he good? God is more good than we can possibly imagine. Children are not the greatest good, as much of a treasure as a gift as they are. Health is not the greatest good. Certainly wealth is not the greatest good. The greatest good is knowing God through Jesus Christ. God is the greatest, the only all-satisfying good in the universe. God is. And here God was giving Job more of the greatest good. And that's what God is always doing when he brings trials to his most devoted saints. The joy of experiencing God more deeply. That God is everything. The honor of displaying his infinite worth to everyone around. That's the gift that God is bringing to, to Job. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor and a missionary and a writer and author in the U.S. in the 1700s. Jonathan, Sarah's husband, had just been called to be the president of Yale University, and he'd moved there ahead of time so that Sarah could get everything in order and make the move with the family and everything. And while he was there, he decided to get inoculated for smallpox, which was spreading through and causing lots of difficulties. So he got the smallpox inoculation, but the doctor gave him too much, and his throat swelled up so much that he ended up dying. Devastating to Sarah, his wife, and the children. And I want you to listen to Sarah's testimony. Sarah is like Job. Listen to what she wrote to her daughter about this. This is amazing. Letter to her daughter, letting her know. My very dear child. Actually, the daughter already knew. This is Sarah writing her daughter about the death of her father, her husband. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good, a holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths, not, not grumbling or complaining. The Lord has done it, sovereign God. He has made me adore his goodness, God's goodness, that we had him, my husband, your father, so long. But my God lives, 
and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. Grace Church, may God make us be a people like Job, like Sarah Edwards, who proclaim, even through tears, even through heartbreaking trials, that knowing God in Jesus is everything. That if you have God, you have everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May God make us like that. Let's stand. Lord, for those who are in deep waters of suffering right now, sustain them, we plead with you through Jesus. Comfort them, fill them, strengthen them, pour your love into their hearts in even greater ways. Deliver them, we'll ask you for that as well. But oh Lord, meet them now, we ask as we pray. And Lord, make us a church who, when we go through suffering, so shine with your worth and the joy of knowing you in Christ that people will see the reality of Jesus in our faces and hear it in our words. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.